Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Ava Amson, welcoming you to this Bitesize Bio webinar, which today is sponsored by Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany. Millipore Sigma is the US and Canada life science business of Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany. Today's presentation is titled Using Antisense to Characterize Nonsense, a Mouse Model of Progranulin Deficient Dementia. And it's being presented by Andrew Wen from St. Louis University and Christina Kornmeier, Global Product Manager, Immunoassay Platform Solutions, Merck KGA, Darmstadt, Germany. Andrew is an assistant professor at St. Louis University School of Medicine. He obtained his PhD from UT Southwestern Medical Center before undertaking postdoctoral fellowships at the Gladstone Institutes and Harvard School of Public Health. His current research focuses on developing and testing therapeutic strategies to increase progranulin levels in progranulin-deficient frontotemporal dementia through cellular and mouse models. Tina is the product manager for the Milliplex Multiplex portfolio, an SMC ultra-sensitive portfolio of assays covering the following research areas, neuroscience, cancer, immuno-oncology, metabolism and endocrine hormones, virology, cardiovascular disease research, and veterinary medicine and animal health. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation, so please type any questions you have into the questions box which appears on the top right panel of your screen, and I'll put them to Andrew and Tina at the end. So now, over to you, Tina, for the presentation. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Christine Kornmeyer. I'm a global product manager for Millipore, and here uh, today I'll be presenting on the single molecule counting. SMC high sensitivity immunoassays for neurodegenerative disease research. Immunoassay platforms are here to support your biomarker research. We offer three different platforms uh, to meet your needs. First, we have our ELISAs, and we also, in our ELISAs, offer Confirma ELISAs, which are extensively characterized. There are high analytical verification ELISA, which can be used for longitudinal studies. Our Luminex systems and their milliplex assays are multiplexed, up to 48 analytes per kit. Uh, they're used for high-throughput biomarker screening, as well as longitudinal studies. If you have low abundant biomarkers to analyze, uh, you would want to switch to our SMC-X Pro instruments and SMC assays. This is single molecule counting for high sensitivity down to the femtogram per mil level. For our milliplex assays, we are using the XMAP technology, which is offered by the Luminex instrument platform. All of our kits are configurable, so you can select any or all of the assays within a given kit. All of the 
assay uh, reagents are included in each kit, so you can run the assay as soon as you have your samples ready. And all the kit analytes have been optimized for performance uh, within that assay together. Our assays are made to be consistent from lot to lot so that you can conduct longitudinal research. And for the milliplex assays, we offer a number of analytes for neuroscience research uh, shown here uh, for human, mouse, and rat samples. However, there is a need for high sensitivity detection, especially for neurobiomarkers. And uh, this is especially useful for uh, neurodegenerative disease biomarkers, such as in Alzheimer's or multiple sclerosis, where you want to detect uh, either low abundance markers in blood or plas plasma or serum, or even in cerebral spinal fluid to detect um, the markers in the earliest time before the clinical development of disease uh, so that you can track or perhaps uh, work on therapeutics to intervene in the disease progress. Here we introduce our single molecule counting system on the SMCX Pro platform. Our proprietary methods reduce background and increase the signal to noise. Uh, and all of our kits include all the agents needed to run the assay. Our analytes have been optimized for peak performance. And we also offer the lot-to-lot uh, -lot consistency for longitudinal studies. Our high sensitivity immunoassays are an ever-expanding uh, number of kits, and here we show the uh, neurodegenerative disease analytes, our latest one being the NFL kit. Here I give an example of neurodegenerative disease biomarker measurements from human cerebral spinal fluid uh, for six of our assays from the SMC line showing uh, data from a small number of control and Alzheimer's disease samples. And again, from Alzheimer's disease and control samples showing from the same kits, our neurodegenerative disease biomarkers, measurements of human plasma. And our newest kit is the SMC NFL kit. And as you can see, we have on the standard curve uh, with dilutions of one to two for serum or plasma, or one to four of cerebral spinal fluid, uh, the sample data lie nicely on the standard curve. And here we show a control and Alzheimer's disease samples side by side. And we have uh, compared our kit to another competitor on the market and show a good uh, comparison of 0.91. Okay, so um, we'll get on to our uh, featured speaker today, uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Nuegen, and um, of St. Louis University, and he will actually be presenting some mouse data using our new NFL kit. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tina, for that introduction, and thank you for this opportunity to share our research today. So our lab studies a protein called progranulin in the context of frontotemporal dementia. Progranulin is a secreted and lysosomal protein, and its uh, function is still unknown. Granulin was first identified in the early 1990s based on its growth factor-like properties in the context of cancer. And in 2006, progranulin mutations were identified in people with FTD. And this is, uh, these are heterozygous mutations. So that spurred a lot of interest in progranulin from the neuroscience community. And in 2012, uh, individuals with complete progranulin deficiency were identified. And this 
uh, causes a much more severe disease, uh, disease called neuronal steroid lipofusinosis. And this is a form of lysosomal storage disease. So it's a big clue that progranulin uh, has an important function in lysosomes. And uh, progranulin is a pleiotropic protein with a number of reported effects, including uh, modulating inflammation, uh, tumor cell growth, wound healing, neuron survival, and uh, promoting neurite outgrowth. So progranulin is a, is a uh, target of the TFEB transcription factor that um, regulates lysosomal genes. And it, uh, after it's uh, synthesized, it enters the secretory pathway and uh, is secreted. And this progranulin can be uh, taken up by cells through uh, several receptors, including sortilin shown here. Uh, and then in that way, it can uh, reach the lysosomes. And newly synthesized progranulin can also take a more direct uh, route and traffic uh, to the lysosomes. Uh, and this, uh, this review uh, just nicely uh, summarizes uh, the progranulin deficiency, with progranulin deficiency, uh, there's a disruption in the glia neuron homeostasis and that promotes neurodegeneration. And this, uh, this uh, is primarily through, uh, thought to be through a, a cytotoxic effect um, coming from uh, glial cells as well as uh, synaptic pruning. So FTD, um, it's caused by, uh, can be caused by a number of uh, gene mutations. Uh, the three most uh, common ones are bolded here. Uh, so it's tau, progranulin, and C9 dwarf 72. And in the case of progranulin, it's a heterozygous mutation uh, that causes haploinsufficiency. So on the right side, you can see uh, uh, individuals with progranulin mutations have reduced progranulin levels uh, in the blood and throughout the body. And uh, as the name implies, uh, FTD uh, has severe atrophy of the frontal and, frontal and temporal lobes of the brain. And this leads to profound changes in personality, behavior, language, and, and movement. And uh, memory is typically spared, at least early on. And for a uh, for granulin uh, FTD, uh, neuropathology includes TDP43, um, accumulation, ubiquitin, and uh, inflammation. And currently, there's no approved uh, treatment or cure. Several labs have generated mouse models, and uh, they recapitulate uh, key behavioral changes seen in FTD. So on the left, um, is uh, showing that the progranulin uh, deficient mice have a decreased sociability. And in the middle uh, is a uh, graph showing that the uh, progranulin heterozygous mice have changes in social dominance. And on the right um, are uh, deficits in cued fear conditioning. So to, uh, together, these show that the progranulin deficient mice have uh, uh, social and emotional deficits. And in terms of neuropathology, uh, these mice have neuroinflammation, uh, ubiquitin, uh, TDP43 pathology, uh, lipofusin accumulation, which is indicative of lysosomal impairment, 
and then uh, also increased uh, expression of lysosomal genes. So about 70 mutations have been identified in uh, individuals with FTD, and uh, they span the entire gene or uh, protein as shown here. And uh, most of these uh, shown on the bottom side are uh, nonsense mutations or frame shift mutations that introduce premature termination codons. So these mutant mRNAs are uh, predicted to be degraded, and uh, that leads to a functionally null allele. For most of these mutations, the mutant mRNA is predicted to be degraded through the NMD pathway. So for newly synthesized RNAs, NMD proteins, including UPF2 and UPF3 shown here, bind to the exon junction complex at the three prime end of the exons. During the first round of translation, the pioneer round of translation, as the ribosome uh, comes through and tran uh, for translation, it displaces these NMD factors. And it continues to do so until the stop codon, shown in red. And then the normal protein is made. On the other hand, and when there's a premature termination codon, shown in brown in the middle here, the ribosome will stop at that PTC and then NMD proteins will remain bound to downstream exon junction complexes. And that leads to uh, targeted degradation of that mutant mRNA by the NMD machinery. So this is an important RNA quality control pathway for cells to prevent the expression of deleterious mutant proteins. And it's also um, important for CRISPR, uh, most of the uh, knockout cells that we make uh, with CRISPR introduce indel mutations, and then the, that introduces a premature termination codon, and then the uh, mutant mRNA is degraded through NMD. In the original reports of perbranular mutations uh, in FTD, there were hints that the mutant mRNA was, was being degraded through NMD. So on the left side, in the top graph, see decreased progranulin mRNA levels um, in, uh, in, in, with the progranulin mutations. And below that, we can see if we treat the cells with cyclohexamide, which blocks translation and therefore also blocks NMD, we see an increase in progranulin mRNA levels. On the right, under the genomic DNA, uh, heading on the, on the top panel, we see that with the mutation, uh, there's a C and a T allele at the middle position. When we look in the uh, under the cDNA, we can only detect the C allele, suggesting that the T allele is degraded, um, is degraded or not expressed. And if we treat uh, with cyclohexamide, then you can begin to detect the T allele again. So that suggests that this mutant mRNA is also degraded through NMD. So we decided to focus on the R493X mutation, um, which is the most common uh, mutation uh, progranulin uh, in individuals with FTD. 
we have evidence from cell-based studies that progranulin, uh, this progranulin uh, mutant protein, when it's expressed in cells, uh, is functional. So to better model FTD uh, caused by progranulin mutate, by this R493X mutation, we generated a not-good mouse model uh, harboring this mutation. And uh, as expected, we see uh, decreased progranulin levels in uh, different tissues of these mice. In the heterozygous mice shown in gray, we see about a 50% decrease in mRNA levels. And then in, in red, the homozygous mice have about a 90% decrease. And, um, we, and we see similar changes with, uh, at the protein level. So these, uh, these effects are uh, consistent with the mutant mRNA being degraded by NMD. Uh, one, one experiment we did uh, was to uh, give cyclohexamide to the mice, and, uh, in, and then we can see an increase in progranulin mRNA levels on the right side in the homozygous mice. So that's suggestive of uh, NMD. And when we took fibroblasts from these mice, uh, we can see in blue a, uh, a decrease in progranulin levels uh, with the different genotypes. And then if we transfect in siRNA to knock down key components of the NMD pathway, we can see an increase in uh, progranulin mRNA levels. And importantly, we can also see an increase in progranulin protein levels. Um, on the far right, we, you, uh, we can start to detect the uh, truncated R493X protein, which is a little bit smaller than the full-length protein. And then we begin to, um, we next uh, characterize the, uh, the mouse model. And this, uh, uh, as shown in the bottom panel, we can see more IBA1 staining in the knock-in mice. And this increases with age. So this is indicating uh, increased neuroinflammation. Then on the left side, we uh, also see increased phosphorylated TDP43. In the middle panel is the uh, progranulin R493X uh, mice. And on the lower panel is the uh, progranulin knockout mice. So we can see um, increased phosphorylated TDP43 in, in both mice, but uh, not in the wild-type mice shown in the top panel. And one of the, um, another behavior that we see in these mice is uh, an obsessive grooming behavior, which is a type of obsessive compulsive behavior in mice. And uh, this leads to uh, development of skin lesions in the, uh, the knock-in mice. Uh, and you can see that over time in the red curve. If we overlay, if we compare this with the uh, knockout mice shown in green, it's very similar. And more recently, we've done additional uh, behavioral studies, and similar to the knockout mice, we see uh, changes in uh, decreased sociability, uh, changes in social dominance, and uh, and uh, also in uh, anxiety. So overall, the uh, progranulin R493X mice uh, have reduced progranulin mRNA levels. Uh, they have age-dependent microgliosis, uh, TDP43 pathology. Uh, and I didn't show they also have decreased synaptic density, uh, lipofusinosis, uh, behavioral deficits, and uh, 
overall, we think they're a good knock-in model for frontotemporal dementia. But we wanted to um, further characterize these mice and try to uh, identify a uh, biomarker for uh, uh, to, to track in this mouse model. So we uh, measured neurofilament light chain, or NFL, and this is a uh, neuronal protein, and it's a uh, uh, cytoskeletal protein and it's released from neurons upon uh, axonal injury or neuronal death. And it's been shown to be increased in a number of neurodegenerative diseases. It's an early indicator of disease, uh, reflects disease severity, and uh, it's useful for monitoring disease progression uh, and or response to treatment. And uh, the levels in the blood are about 40 to 50% lower than in the CSF. So because of that, in CSF, we were able to um, measure NFL levels by ELISA, but in blood, you need more sensitive assays, uh, such as the one that, that Tina uh, described earlier. In uh, humans, uh, NFL levels have been shown to be increased in the CSF as well as blood in people with FTD. And um, here's a uh, graph from one of the papers um, in highlighted here uh, is that progranulin uh, patients have increased uh, serum NFL levels. And uh, this was not seen in pre-symptomatic uh, progranulin mutation carriers. So we measured NFL levels using two um, leading high sensitivity uh, immunoassay platforms, including the SMC. Uh, and with age, uh, we see an increase in uh, NF plasma NFL levels in the homozygous knock-in mice in the blue curve, but, but not in the heterozygous mice. If we look more closely at the uh, mice uh, at different ages separated uh, by sex, at 12 months, we can see an increase in the, uh, in the males, in the homozygous males. Uh, and it's not until about 18 months that we see uh, a significant increase in the females. We uh, confirmed these changes in uh, another cohort of mice. Uh, again, uh, we see increases in the, the uh, homozygous uh, knock-in mice. And if we measure uh, uh, NFL levels in the CSF, we see, again, only uh, increases in the knock-in mice, but not the heterozygous mice. And uh, with the SMC platform, we, uh, we see similar results with increases in uh, the knock-in mice only. And it was very um, nice to see that there's a, a strong correlation between the values uh, with uh, the SMC assay and uh, another assay. So. For characterizing uh, this mouse model and, and probably a lot of other mouse models, uh, NFL has been uh, very informative as it's telling us that in the uh, in the heterozygous mice, there's not evidence of uh, much neuronal death, which is um, in some ways is consistent with uh, previous reports uh, showing that there's not overt neuro neuronal loss in the uh, heterozygous mice. And this also, um, and this also uh, 
informs us about for preclinical studies that other uh, potential biomarkers should be explored. So transitioning to uh, the therapeutic side of uh, this talk, um, as I mentioned before, progranulin uh, mutations uh, cause haploinsufficiency. So increasing progranulin levels is a logical uh, therapeutic approach. And um, several different approaches are being uh, pursued, including those uh, listed here. And uh, we're uh, using antisense oligonucleotides. So ASOs are short uh, RNA or DNA uh, uh, oligos that are, uh, can be modified to increase stability and cellular uptake. And they can uh, modulate target mRNA uh, through a variety of mechanisms uh, shown on the right. So the most common mechanism is just to degrade the uh, target mRNA. So the um, ASO is shown in blue and it, when it binds to its target RNA with certain chemistry, it can degrade the target RNA. Uh, ASOs can also be used to uh, um, modify splicing of RNAs, either to include or exclude exons. And uh, ASOs can also be used to bind microRNAs and uh, sequester them so they don't uh, can no longer uh, act on their target RNAs. And ASOs have been shown to be efficacious in uh, uh, mouse models of several neurodegenerative diseases, and uh, ASOs are a promising therapeutic modality for diseases with uh, CNS targets with uh, several ASO-approved uh, ASO drugs uh, having FDA approval. Uh, in 2015, there was a, a report that ASOs can also be used to block NMD of a uh, of a reporter gene. So here, uh, there's a premature termination codon in exon 2, and, uh, and ASOs were designed to target the exon junction complex at the end of this uh, exon. And as you can see on the bottom, uh, a number of these ASOs, including H27, 26, 25, 24, and 23, increase mRNA levels of this uh, reporter suggesting that they block the uh, de uh, RNA degradation. So we were excited about this, and we uh, decided to take a similar approach in collaboration with Ionis Pharmaceuticals. So uh, we uh, designed a series of ASOs that target the exon junction complex at the end of exon 12, where the R493X mutation is. And um, we first uh, uh, introduced these uh, into fibroblast cells. And on the right side, you can see that this uh, a number of these ASOs increase progranulin mRNA levels um, from the 5% that we see in the control-treated cells up to about 20 to 30% of uh, wild-type levels. And with this, uh, with some of these ASOs, we can also see increased progranulin protein levels. So we were excited to next uh, test these ASOs in vivo. So for this, we did ICV uh, injections into the ventricle. And uh, after three weeks, we uh, measured progranulin levels in, in the brain. And uh, we were disappointed that none of the ASOs increased progranulin 
mRNA or protein levels um, in the cortex or the thalamus as shown here. We, um, as a positive control, we had a uh, validated MALAT1 targeting ASO and this uh, ASO decreased MALAT1 mRNA levels as, as expected. And we could also detect uh, broad distribution of the ASO throughout the brain uh, shown in red here. So then we um, decided to take a, a different approach, um, different ASO-based approach targeting microRNAs. So microRNAs are small non-coding regulatory RNAs. They're uh, estimated to uh, regulate levels about one third of all human proteins. They uh, usually have modest effects uh, and they typically bind to the three prime untranslated region of the target mRNA and they uh, repress translation. So in the case of progranulin, uh, three microRNAs have been reported to uh, regulate progranulin levels and all three of them uh, decrease progranulin protein levels as shown uh, on the bottom here. For two of these, the uh, microRNA binding sites have been mapped to the three prime UTR of the progranulin mRNA. And we decided to focus on uh, MIR-29B. So we uh, designed a uh, panel of ASOs uh, targeting the MIR-29 binding site and uh, tested these first in cells. We found a number of them, uh, 16 of them, increased progranulin protein levels either by ELISA or Western plot. And in these experiments, we um, have water as a vehicle control and, uh, and a control uh, non-targeting ASO as well. Uh, we went on to uh, characterize several of these ASOs in more detail. And uh, we see that they uh, increase progranulin protein levels in a, a dose-dependent manner. And we can see effects within several hours. Uh, so in the upper panel uh, on the right, with ASO M10, we can see increased progranulin protein levels by one hour after treatment. And with M36 uh, on the bottom, uh, we see an increase somewhere between four to eight hours. And um, the way we designed these ASOs was that they would be, uh, that they would sterically hinder near um, 29B binding. So one uh, important prediction is that if we at increasing amounts of ASOs that should displace or compete off the MIR-29B. So we did a FRET-based assay to, uh, to test this and you can see with increasing uh, ASO M36 uh, concentrations, we, uh, the MIR-29B um, uh, is uh, no longer interacting with the uh, progranulin 3'-UTR. To test if, um, if the ASOs are increasing uh, progranulin translation, we did polysome profiling experiments and we uh, do see increased progranulin mRNA in the heavy polyribosome fractions, which are the actively trans translating uh, fractions. Fortunately, Blair Levitt's lab had, has generated a humanized progranulin mouse. This is a back transgenic mouse the human progranulin gene, along with regulatory elements, including the three prime UTR. And they showed that they inject uh, MIR-29B inhibitors into this triatum 
this increases programming protein levels. So we wanted to test our ASOs in this mouse. And we, uh, and this is data with uh, ASO M5. We see increased progranulin protein levels in, uh, shown in the blue bars uh, by ELISA in the cortex. This is three weeks after uh, ICV administration. And we also can see this by Western blot um, in the cortex and thalamus. We see increased progranulin protein levels. And we don't see increased uh, progranulin mRNA levels. So that suggests that um, the ASOs are increasing translation in vivo. So this is our working model for um, our ASO-based strategy for increasing progranulin levels. So on the bottom side, uh, so the bottom shows the progranulin haploinsufficiency with decreased progranulin mRNA protein levels. And our ASOs, uh, we believe, are increasing the translation of progranulin mRNA Hopefully, this will increase progranulin protein levels enough to um, be uh, therapeutically uh, effective. So with that, I'd like to thank the members of our lab who uh, worked on this project, um, as well as uh, collaborators at St. Louis University, um, my postdoc mentors, Bob Faris and Toby Walter, our collaborators, um, Eric Wong's lab, Sean Ferguson's lab, uh, Chantel Septon and Paul Duchak and Blair Levitt. Also, um, thank Ionis Pharmaceuticals who uh, collaborated with on the uh, ASO studies. And thank you to uh, Millie Boy Sigma for help with uh, uh, the NFL measurements. And uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you, Andrew and Tina, before that, for an excellent presentation. Now, we have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post that in the questions box that appears on the top right side of your screen. Um, so to start off, a question for you, Andrew. Um, does the um, progranulin gene mutation express similarly in both microglia of the brain and macrophages of the immune system in humans and in the mouse knocking model? Yeah, so um, so as far as uh, we, uh, all, all our data shows that um, the mutation affects um, the, all, all the cells and tissues throughout the body. So we, we can see a reduction in, in all tissues and cells so with, with that. Okay, thanks. And and it's it, same in, in humans and mice as well. Or... Yeah, so we we expect that. Um, we, we have uh, more limited um, data from humans. Um, we've looked in uh, human fibroblasts and, um, and seen similar uh, reductions with progranulin mutations. And um, more recently, uh, IPS cells, I, IPSC uh, have been uh, generated with the R493X mutation by the um, uh, NIH initiative for um, uh, I, the INDI initiative to uh, generate uh, IPSCs that um, have uh, mutations causing neurodegenerative diseases. And they, they generated 
cells with the R493X mutation. And uh, there in the homozygous cells, uh, progranulin mRNA levels are about 10% of uh, control. So I, I, overall, I think it's uh, similar, this mutation in, in humans and, and in mice um, leads to decreased progranulin levels. Um, and I guess somewhat related to that, a question that just came in is, um, other than mouse models, did your team work with any others? Um, no, we, we mostly uh, work with mouse models and then, um, and then otherwise set cellular models. Um, okay. And no future plans for, <laughs> for anything else either. No, um, I think the mouse models have been very informative um, and uh, overall um, multiple labs have made mouse models um, including four knockout mouse models and uh, two knock-in mouse models and they all have um, similar, they also show uh, similar phenotypes which is uh, reassuring. Um, and I think uh, very fortunate for our, our ongoing project, Blair Levitt's lab uh, generated the humanized um, progranulin mouse model. And uh, that's, uh, that's been a, a great, um, that, that's been really helpful. And I think that's going to be a great resource for the community uh, trying to develop progranulin uh, therapeutics. Mm. Um and a question, well, I'll, I'll pose this to you first, Andrew, but I'll let um, Tina chip in later. Um, which additional neurodegenerative disease biomarkers would you like to see offered in um, commercial high-sensitivity immunoassay formats? Um, so we're very focused on uh, progranulin uh, FTD. So um, <laughs> in, in that context, uh, another biomarker that's been shown to be increased in, in people with progranulin mutations is GFAP. So it's an mm -hmm. astrocyte um, marker. And uh, um, and TDP43 has been also been shown to be increased um, in people with FTD or uh, progranulin uh, FTD. Mm -hmm. So um, th those two would be the ones that we're, we'd be most uh, interested mm -hmm. in at this time. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll pose it to Tina. What uh, what have you heard from the scientific community? Are there any any requests or any anything in the pipeline that people can expect? Uh, yeah, we actually have two uh, new markers that will be coming uh, on the on our uh, website soon to be launched, and that is uh, PTAU two seventeen and PTAU uh, two thirty one. These are both going to be in our SMC line. It's good to know. Yes. Good that things are coming out all the time. <laughs> yes, they are. Actually. <laughs> Got a nice pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Um, and unless any other questions come in, um, I've got the last question here for Andrew. Um, how might progranulin-related therapeutics that are meant to control microglia activity affect the innate immune system? Yeah, so I guess the concern might be that since progranulin is anti-inflammatory, that it might suppress mm. the immune system in, uh, um, to, in excess. Um, 
I, I don't think we have, um, I haven't seen any evidence that that's um, a problem in, uh, in, in situations where progranulin is overexpressed. Um, but one thing I'd say is that in the approaches that we're taking, we're, we're definitely um, cognizant of trying to keep progranulin levels within uh, normal, in the normal range. So, um, so for example, with the ASO-based approaches, we're, we're, we're not massively overexpressing progranulin where, where we might um, begin to uh, be worried about um, unintended effects mm. of, uh, of overexpression. Yeah, I think, um, especially with the microRNA uh, targeting approach, we're, we're getting pretty modest um, effects and we're, we're really trying to increase progranulin levels from 50% of uh, normal levels up to 100%. So mm. it's a, and I, I don't, I don't think our approach is going to um, go, go beyond too, too much beyond that okay. uh, to cause concern. That's good. Um, well, thank you so much. That brings us to the end of the webinar today. So thank you again, Andrew and Tina, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. And thanks to our sponsor, Merck KJA Darmstadt, Germany. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Merck and Bite Size Bio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.